Welcome to the ICGC Calvary Temple Teen Chapel Podcast. You're listening to a special recording from the Sakumono, Bawi, and Wager Districts 2022 Youth Camp, themed, He Must Increase. Be blessed as you listen to this message by Elder Amos Kevin Annan. Ladies and gentlemen, a very good afternoon to you all. You are watching your favorite TV, Omega Generation TV. Keep your dial right here. You are very much welcome to today's session. This is day three of ICGC Sakumono Weja Bawe District Camp. I believe the last um, couple of sessions has been good. And this afternoon, we have a wonderful session and to host this session. Uh, my name is Nana Abrokwa Asari. And my name is Esther Flagby. And this afternoon, we are privileged to have one of our very own, a face that is not new to us in um, ICGC. Um, he's in the person of Elder Amos Kelvin Anan. Elder, you are very much welcome to Thank our show. Thank you. Thank you, Nana and uh, Esther. All right. So, like I said earlier on, we have a very interesting um, session. And today we are going to delve into the issues of relationships, um, love, and other related matters. And um, we hope at the end of the session, we are all going to learn something and take something home. Um, I'm just going to go straight to the session. And Elder, I think we've already welcomed you. But um, growing up as a child, for me, I think everything was perfect until I was entering into my teen, teenage years. And then all of a sudden, um, I started having feelings when I see girls. Uh, my heart begins to beat faster. And naturally, I felt more inclined to the opposite sex. And at that tender age, I was very much confused. Um, I didn't know what was happening to me. Elder, are these things normal? Or what is God's plan? Is it God's plan? Is it his intended purpose that these things will happen to teenagers to confuse us? Is it the will of God? And how are we to handle um, these changes in our lives? Well, thank you very much. Um, it is important that we all acknowledge that as human beings are created in the image and after the likeness of God, we would grow from one stage to the other. Now, what you just described has to do with the growth spirit of an individual. Now, you are at a stage where you are a child and then you become adolescent. Okay, then you become a young adult, then you become an adult, then you go back down to the aging zone and go back to childhood. <laughs> Start acting like a child again, you know. But let's look at it this way. So within childhood, there are a lot of naivety, a lot of innocence. But when you get into adolescence, adolescence simply means adulthood happening. And it's a transition point between a child and an adult. You are neither a child nor an adult. But inside you, you are going to have experiences that adults have. Of course, not in a full-blown sense of it. In some cases, you can actually accelerate that if you want to. But by and large, what you see is that the adulthood tendencies show, but your judgment 
about life and the intricate details of life almost are close to that of a child. So you are prone to making vital errors. Because the pressure on you is almost like that of your dad or your mom. But it's in the finest stage. But then the judgment, the choices, the decisions, the capacity to withstand, it's almost like that of a child. So a person in that state is always going to be in the apt description you gave that you're confused. This is where guidance is required. This is where coaching, mentorship are needed to help this young person navigate that path smoothly without becoming reckless or careless. Wow, thank you very much. And um, one of the most interesting scriptures um, I saw, um, I think that has to do with um, Amon and Tamar. Um, I think growing up as a teenager was one of the very confusing um, scriptures I ever read. Um, I just want us to go to Second Samuel chapter 13. I think in the f first verse it says, in the course of time, Amon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. And then a series of events happens, and then you go to verse 15, and then it says, then Amon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amon said to her, get up and get out. And this is just one chapter, and in the beginning, somebody is deeply in love with someone, and then not far off, the person hates her with intense hatred. You know, it brings a subject of love. What is love? Mm. Can you love somebody, and then in the space of time, you hate that person? So the subject of love tends to be a bit confusing. As teenagers, when you ask people what is love, you would get several or different answers. To you, in the biblical perspective, what is love? All right, thank you very much. Um, what you find is this. Definitions are being challenged in the world in which we find ourselves. And individuals are being encouraged to have their own set of definitions. And so, if you ask individuals what is love, you are going to get as many definitions are that as there are people. A young man was asked what love was, and he said that love is a feeling you feel that you have never felt before. Now, this generation, which is feelings new year deep generation, I prefer to call it the ush-ash generation because it's all very much sentiment, 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 you know. I they feel for you, I they feel for you. That, that's the language. There is a part of love which is feeling-oriented. It's like an intense feeling or an attraction you have for a person. That's one aspect of the many definitions that the dictionary even offers you. Then there's another leg of love which is selfless service to another for the good of that person, not necessarily thinking of your profit. So in one breath, there is an emotional bit. In another breath, there is an act action bit. 
That's why the scriptures tell us that not just to love in words or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In fact, the scripture I like so much is Romans 12, where if you read it in the message Bible, it says, love from the center of your heart. <laughs> center of your, in fact, it uses the center of your being, which actually is your heart. Okay. Now, but you would know that love has transited through periods. So, for instance, when you buy magazines or books and they describe or discuss love, you notice a lot of the time it's either love as a sentiment or love as a sexual passion. That's what you see. But in the Greek renditions, that is actually what is called eros. So eros is actually a kind of love, but if you don't handle errors well, it gets out of hand and creates chaos for the society and the community. So maybe at a point we have to look at errors. Then when you go to the scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, which is famously quoted and described as a chapter of love, you see that it gives you attributions of love. Love is this, love is that, love is this. this. And one of the things he says, love does not glory in sin. So, for the Christian, love should not predispose you to sinful behavior. So, if you find yourself in a situation where you say you are in love with someone, and what you are doing is actually displeasing to God, you can't call that love. And that's the scenario Amnon found himself with Tamar. In one breath, he loves the girl so bad that he's sick, and his sickness can only be cured by Tamar and the service she renders, only for him to get his fixation satisfied. Then he loses the interest. It's like a guy, I mean, he'll call the girl. Hi, how are you doing? Hey, what's up? Have you eaten? Mm, I'm not feeling too well. So eat, 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 eat for me. You just eat for me. And the girl is very excited. And this guy persistently would call and check. You didn't come to fellowship, you call and check. You know. Then suddenly... He may be a hunter, for all you know. He's hunting for something, and when he gets what he's looking for now, you call him, you can't get him. Because it, it, it just disappears from It evaporates like vapor. So those ones cannot be called love. They tend to be infatuation that a person has towards another, and you're compelled. It's, it acts on you with a lot of pressure for you to do something, and when you do what you you want to do, you look back and realize, mm -mm, that's not what I really wanted. And many times, it leads people into a lot of distress and it's avoidable. All right, so especially in our generation where, where it's like, like liking somebody, admiration for somebody, affection, are all confused as love. <laughs> I am thinking for the teen sitting here, and I just want to ask, as a teen, should, should I know what love is? As a teen, is what I am feeling for my friend, for my classmates, and in weird situations for my teacher, is it love? Is it something I should act on? Is it, because you have expanded on love. So if I find myself in a situation where 
I am going according to the first Corinthians love and is not veering towards sin. Should I continue on that path? Well, I mean, love as a selfless act is fantastic. And we must definitely at all material moments love others. Life is to be lived lovingly. So if I love another, there's no problem there. What normally would be a problem would be the end result of what you're pursuing. Now, the teen who is emerging, they haven't actually consolidated their values. Values protect us in our choices when it comes to love. So there's a person who is yet to consolidate that and is seeking to be in love with another. They will soon get tired. Because they're still at the formative stages of life. If you contrast that person with somebody who is, say, in a tertiary school, if even they are teens, they are towards the late teens bracket, they have a greater degree of awareness of themselves and the circumstances and what it is that they are pursuing in life. So when those individuals are discussing love, they can have a clear picture of what love is. But where the person likes someone, and that liking for someone begins to act on you with pressure, then you are drifting from like into a space of lust. Because in the Greek rendition of love, there's one love that is called mania. And mania is obsession. So you have an obsession for the person. If you don't see the person, you can't eat. And Amnon was in that state where he says he could no longer eat. He could not sleep. And that's how Jonadab saw him and said, ah, how can the king's son be haggard like that? He said, oh, you don't know. You know, something is doing me, you know, Charlie, as they say in Ghana. Something is hopping. And what is it? The hormones are raging in you. And the hormones that are turbulent inside you then pushes you away from like, which is simply admiring someone. I admire your height. I admire your voice. I admire your confidence. I admire the way you are selfless in church. That admiration is, is good. It's, it's to be encouraged. But when it drifts from admiration to fantasy, there's a, there was a borderline there. I admire you. But if I take what I admire and project it into a fanciful thing, I fantasize with you. And that can hurt me without your knowledge. So, as adolescents, they have to be careful. And many of them read American books, and one of the things you see very commonly is crush. I have a crush on so so I have a crush on so 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 my caution has always been, if you have a crush, get a crush helmet. <laughs> because if you don't have a crush helmet, you're going to crash your skull. You know? So there's a need for us to tone down and pipe down on the sentiments bit and step back and say, oh, I admire you. It's not a sin. This person admires so and so. It's not a sin. Let not your good be spoken evil of. You see, what you're doing as good can be spoken evil of. And when that happens, oh boy, you're in big trouble. So they're capable of loving, but they need to really ring fence the love. 
So you draw rings around the love and make sure it doesn't get into spaces you don't want it to get. And that's why people start getting huggy touchy, huggy touchy, huggy touchy. Then the next moment case comes in, you know, case moves and you are not satisfied because it's a trajectory. It takes you from one state to the other and you there's there's an endless pit. When you get in, coming out is difficult. Go body no be firewood. That's that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for the teens who are probably already in relationships, find themselves in situations where they like a boy and then the boy says they like them back and they've already started something. I want to ask a question for them. What is the right age to start dating? You see, relationships are so complex that it requires great maturity to be able to survive. And you look at the numerous adults who are having heartbreaks, headaches, and traumatized experiences, and they, they can't even tell their story to anybody. Some are just brooding quietly in pain, hiding. And so for the adolescents who are there, these adolescents should understand that first and foremost, you need clear set of values for your life. So that when you are saying that I like this person, you keep it at like until the like grows. You see, I've always had a challenge with the way the Americans and the British and Australians write their books. Because they create a hype around falling in love. But that's for the world. We as Christians, we actually nurture love, so we grow in love. Even our love for God is to be nurtured, so it grows. Okay? So the love you had for God in the early years of your life when you became born again, is not the same as you have it now, because love needs to be nurtured. That is why it's so easy for people to fall in love and fall out of love. They just fall in and fall out. So the teenager should be patient, because love is patient. If you become patient, then you step back and can look at things. Am I building friendship or am I building a relationship? In today's world, a lot of people are building relationships and are not building friendships. So I encourage adolescents to build more friendships with as many as they can because that is innocent. That has no promise of marriage. That has no overarching commitment. But the moment you narrow it down to a special fellow and build relationship, that's when the battles begin. Because now you have to create a lot of allowances for those people. And whether it's helpful or not, it will show with time. Because, you see, every new level introduces you to a new devil. I was told that many years ago. Now, adolescence, you see life at the adolescent level. When you bypass adolescence, you begin to see life differently as well. You know, and so it's important. And at the heart of it is, can you say you are in love with this person and maintain purity? That's what Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.12. He told him that don't let anybody look down upon you because you're a young person, blah, blah, blah. He went on. Then he talks about the things that Timothy was to exemplify as a model. And the last one was purity. <laughs> and so if you know you can't handle purity, then don't push yourself into a relationship because when brother and sister are in love, the battlefield is purity. 
Don't kid yourself. Because when people are in love, every and anything they do can be sexual, potentially. Look into my eyes. It ceases to be an innocent look. Hold my hand. It ceases to be an innocent hand holding. And so they have to be very careful because it's difficult to hold your emotions. And remember, the emotions are not born again. And they will never be born again. Hmm. So, Elder, in that vein, how do we put our emotions in check um, if we are not to indulge in um, some of these activities that are not pure before God, in the sight of God? And like you said, the emotions are there. And there's nothing, we didn't create it. And it's inside us, it's boiling. So how do we channel um, these emotions positively? What do we do about it? I mean, basically, these emotions are there, but they can be tamed. They can be managed. Um, the testosterone and the oestrogen and the progesterone and all these hormones that are raging within us. They are there to be managed at this stage. Because even when you are adult and you are married, you still have to manage your emotions. So if you don't learn how to manage emotions at this stage, when you marry, you become a loose cannon. And that's why you see people who are married and they, are, they can't close their zips, they can't close their buttons, and they're all over the place. So the Bible has given us a very simple way to handle this. Flee youthful passions. Flee these sexual desires and these invitations to explore and exploit others. But more than anything, Psalm 119, verse 9 to 11, it says, how can a young person keep their way pure? It says, by taking heed to the word of the Lord. Then it says, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You see, at the heart of it will be that nobody is going to turn themselves into a police officer following you. Uncle Bijo, Pastor Eno, uh, Pastor Dr. Kujo, and all those people, they will not follow you. But you need the word of God in your heart. Because the word of God which is in your heart is what will control your habits. It is not your habits controlling what is in your heart. It's your heart controlling it. So there's a need if we're going to tame the hormones to check what is in our heart. The songwriter says, change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. So when I become like Jesus, it helps me to know this is not appropriate. This will not edify you. It will not edify me. And it will also not glorify God. Those are the two litmus tests. I, when I was young, I would ask myself, will this edify us both? And will this glorify God? And if you say no to one of them, you'd stay away. Because the world doesn't care about whether it's glorifying to God. As long as it feels good, do it. And especially when you have brands like Just Do It. <laughs> it hits your head. Just do it. Just do it. If you feel for it, go for it. And then some, they push the idea that, oh, sex and love are synonymous. You can interchange them. So if you love me, you sex me. Anybody who believes in that, it means John 3.16 has to be rewritten because then it becomes for God's sex, for God so sex the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You cannot interchange sex and love. 
you see. Beloved, let us love one another. Then becomes, beloved, let us sex one another. For sex is of God, and he who sexes is born of God. This is simple English. And when you go to school and you do your comprehensions and grammar, you have to learn how to find a word similar in meaning to replace the other. We can do that. If we can do that, then we cannot trade this for that. So in all our dealings, in our relationships, in our friendships, there are two questions for us to answer. One, does it edify us? And then two, does it glorify God? So two questions for us all to think about and to answer. All right, I think let's go into another area that is um, fast catching on um, with our world today. Um, why do some boys want to be girls and girls want to be boys? And it brings the question, if God makes mistakes in assigning gender, because growing up, right, from GSS, you find some boys acting like girls, their voice sounds like girls, and you ask that these were created by God. They act and they have hormones. Um, boys acting like girls. And it's fast catching up. And that has led to the subject of gay, bisexual, LGBTQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQQ
That's his baby girl, Kevin Annan. So right at birth, it was determined. Today what's happening is that at birth, you can't determine that. So you leave it to the person to make a determination what they prefer. That's why I've battled the use of the word gender. I've, I've argued with some of my friends about that. Because as we speak now, there are over 47 different gender variants. And the plus in there shows you that we, it's, it's not yet ended. That's why I mentioned that this generation thrives on feelings. So you see somebody say, I'm a girl, but I feel like a boy. I'm a grown-up, but I feel like a baby. I'm a human being, but I feel like acting like a dog. That is what Romans says, that they attempting to show they were wise, they became foolish. I, I, it's inconceivable to look at a grown man, 70 years, and he's walking in a, in a baby diaper and has a pacifier on their mouth and says, I'm grown, but I feel, my body feels like a child. It's, it's painful. It shows you a life without Christ and what it can do, can bring crisis. So we cannot reject these individuals. We still need to send the word of God to them. So that, like you say, there will be what? Change of mood in heaven. That change of mood in heaven must be something that takes our attention. That we reach out to people with a salvation message. I mean, the last couple of weeks I've been reviewing people who have done transitions. Hmm. It's sad. Some did it as young as 13, and today they are 28, and they regret what they've done. There's one girl, Cleo, who's made the waves, um, you know, on social media. And she, for instance, she made them take her breast out as a girl and took these hormonal suppressants and, you know, all these. And she acted out, acted out. Today, at the age where she is, she realized she made a terrible mistake. But her breast has been taken off. What happens to her? So human beings need to be sober because we are not God. God who created the heavens and the earth says, I own the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We have to encourage these brothers and sisters to go back to God who created them so that there's clearly an identity resolution so they walk peacefully before God. I mean, it sounds very rewarding for boys to think they, when you become a girl, everything is cool. Because you find people who are moving around who say the future is feminine. I was in a conference in South Africa, and a girl was standing there. And she had this T-shirt, the future is feminine. So if you're a young boy sitting there, I mean, doesn't it look alluring? It looks quite attractive to want to be a female. So you're having all these boys all over the place dressing, acting, behaving like girls when they know in their heart of hearts they're boys. Of course, some have had real difficulty experiencing growing at home. Some, for instance, witness a father who is high-handed, abusive, and what have you, and they, they had an aversion. They didn't like what they saw. And when you have such an aversion, you drift towards your mother's side. 
So everything which is masculine, which is being packaged today as toxic. If masculinity is toxic, then I don't want to be a masculine. I will become what we call effeminate. You know, so these are the things which are really, they are culture wars. They are real, real wars that are happening. And I'm sure that is a conversation that needs to be had. And um, we extend the grace of God to persons who are struggling with this. Others too may just see the fancifulness of it on social media. It's like everybody's talking. I'm there, I'm there. I don't care. Yeah, I don't care what you think. You can judge me. There's that. And so they, it looks quite nice. So people get into it. They are experimenting. Only for them, years down the line, to regret it and want to change. And it becomes a difficulty. You know, so let's help them. Let's encourage them to stay before the Lord. And the closer they get to God, the better they understand who they are and what God expects of them. So this reminds me of something I heard a man of God say, that God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. So going back to the statements you made about sex and love being interchanged, I want to ask a question because... Because of the domineering way that sex has entered our society, a lot of people are veering towards pornography because that is the way you learn how to sex, right? So my question without any conclusion is, is, sex, is pornography wrong? Now, I've always asked people, how many of us would um, show explicit pictures of ourselves to the public? So there's something about the human being. I remember when my um, older daughter, when she was a turning adolescent, one day I was going to the bathroom and I didn't know anybody was there. And so when I touched the door, she screamed, Daddy, I'm here! But there's a girl who when she was smaller, I bathed her, did all, dressed her, did all the, changed her diapers. And now she's at a stage where me as a dad, I cannot look at her. Why? Because human awareness of our development and the changes in our body does not require another to see your nudity, your nakedness. Now, so if somebody says that I want to be nude and publicize sin, not just as a picture but with the aim of inciting sexual passion. That's the difference between when you go to biology class and they show you the anatomy of a person. You notice that it doesn't incite anything unless you yourself decide to make a, f a fetish out of it. it. It does nothing to you because it's educational. But when you look at a nude image, it incites in you your, your base instincts. And so... Pornographia, two words. Images of explicit nature with the intent of exciting sexual passion. So to that extent, a Christian cannot watch porn. Like Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman with desire. Now, why was Job saying that? Because he didn't want to look at images of people who were nude with this attachment or desire for what they see, which is what pornography does to a person. 
And remember, pornography is a huge industry. And so there is subtle pornography and there is hardcore pornography. So between that stretch of a subtle pornography and hardcore pornography are all sorts of types. Some come in videos, others come in images, others come in sound, others come in texting. That's why we have what we call sexting. You know, sexing, which is messages that people send to inside those things. So people, as Christians, we've got to be very careful because we can easily slip into it and indulge in these kinds of things. I would discourage every young person from getting into that space because it's a space, when you get into it, it is really difficult to walk out. And over the years I've worked with young people, I've seen how easily people drift into it and how difficult it is to battle themselves out. It's like drugs. Entering is easy. Exiting, oh boy, you can spend a fortune. If you see people go through therapy to get these porn stuff out of their system, it's a fortune they spend to get out of it. So some of them, they get fatigued because you've got to work hard, 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 hard. Taking it out of your memory is a tough one. So for the Christian teen, young adults sitting here who might already be indulging in it, how, how do they get out of it? All right. I mean, uh, it's basically the ABC. Is that the ABC? Accept, believe, confess. So first, you accept that you are in a space you ought not be. You are doing something you should not be there. You need the Savior's intervention. Believe that you are able to win the battle. You see, some of them have got into a place and say, oh, this one, there's nothing I can do about it. It's like people in love. So when you're getting into a love relationship with somebody, you are helpless. Who said so? No, no, no. You're not helpless when it comes to love. It's like feelings. He said, oh, I'm helpless. You're not helpless. You can do something. So you need to have the belief that with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the help of God, with the help of accountable friends. You know, David says something, Psalm 119, verse 63. It's one of my favorite texts. He says, I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who obey your commandments. So accountable relationships also help you to be able to win the battle. It's not only the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps you with enabling grace to do so. But the person around you who is accountable to you and you hold accountable as well, the would reinforce the choices and the decisions you're making. And so that's it. Then the confession. It's important to remember like happened to Paul in the book of Romans. He says, the things I want to do, I could not do them. The things I don't want to do, I found myself doing them. Then he said, oh, what a wretched man that I am. What did he discover? He discovered that there was a contradiction. The law of sin and death was at work in him, countering the law of grace and life. So the two were fighting each other. And he says, I needed someone to save me. So you need to confess your sins that what you're watching is inappropriate, is not edifying to you, and it's not glorifying to God. Somebody saw the nudity of the Father, and you know what happened in Scripture. You know, there are people looking at nudity and they, they have no shame, no shock, no sense of regret or remorse. And that tells you, your conscience, there's an issue. 
Because when you see nude persons, even insane people who are nude, look at, look at the shock people have. So if you, you become numb to the nudity of others, and worse of you yourself, become nude, which has become very common amongst a lot of the teenagers, it, it's sad. I come to think of it that people now on social media who say they are nudists in Ghana here. I ain't growing up. I never heard anybody who said he was a nudist. I mean, you hear this in Paris, in Italy, in Europe, in America, in Australia, and Asia, but not here. But now it has come here. It tells you that we are drifting away from the center. There's a need that we go back to the core of what it is we believe. So it's the A, B, and C. Get help. Get help. I mean, there's help available. Mm. You're not helpless. That reminds me of a book I read, Things Fall Apart, The Center <laughs> Cannot Hold. <laughs> anyway, I think we should take the conversation a bit um, higher, especially for young adults preparing to, to get married. Mm. Um, how can we cut rightly? You know, there are so many definitions and there are so many examples in the world today that people tend to, or Christians may tend to look at, especially during um, courtship. And in your response, um, I would like you to also touch on the subject of um, sex before marriage. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now, what we, what we have to acknowledge is this. Before marriage, mm, you are expected to stay chaste before marriage. And it's not your dad or your mom who is expecting that. Whoever you love expects you to be chaste and not a sleep around individual. Now, the interesting thing is this. When you marry, the same thing that you cultivated before marriage, you need that to keep your marriage. Unfortunately for a lot of people, they assume that oh, marriage cures all difficulties with infidelity, but that's a lie. Otherwise, then you'll find those who are married sleeping around and chasing girls and becoming victims or casualties of slay queens all over the place. So there is the need for us to understand that you do nobody any favor if you stay chaste. I mean, you do yourself great good if you stay chaste. If you have that in your mind, it helps you. The second thing is this. Marriage is a beautiful thing, but the real foundation on which marriage rests is something we call fidelity. And infidelity is faithfulness, infidelity is trust. Now here, a lot of people go into marriage already with the trust foundation compromised. So it gives way to the building. And you see that the center begins to fall apart because see, in this life, there is, there's time to sow seed and there's the time for harvest. So take it that your youthful stages is the time of sowing seed. The harvest really is when you're married. And there are a lot of people who are having mistrust, suspicion. They are literally teleguiding each other. They're taking each other's phone and prying into it because they are not very sure what you're capable of. And 99 out of 100, when you go into the relationship and do a diagnosis of it, you will discover that when they weren't married, they were not honest to each other. And so we want to 
saying it without any ifs or buts, that you do nobody any favor if you choose to stay chaste and insist that the person who comes your way stays chaste. There's no way to negotiate that away. You do so at your own peril. Whatever it is that you're doing now, or you are being invited to do now, when you marry, you get plenty, and you actually run away from it. And that's the reality. Unfortunately, when you're young, because of the energy and the verve and the vim and the pressure, and people are talking about it, this, it looks so colorful, you're also tempted to want to go there. But let us understand that there's a higher order, and that is seeking to please God. Does it glorify God? Does it edify the two of you? Edification means enriching. Does it enrich you? Because all things are permissible indeed. I mean, if you want to have sex before marriage, you are permitted to do so. But the question is, is it beneficial? <laughs> it's like kissing. So, oh, can I kiss? I said, as a Christian, why do you battle with a can I kiss? He said, oh, greet one another with a holy kiss. So he start kissing. But you realize that kiss is not just a kiss. You see, it's one step away from many other. Exactly. It's a sequence. So you start with a kiss, and the strange thing is that you cannot have the same effect with a second kiss. You need a more deeper kiss to get even what you got the first time. It's like sex. It's the same thing. Nobody has sex once. When you have sex once, unless it's rape or an attack on you, which you feel discomforted, if you went into it knowing well what you're doing, the second sex you have won't be the same as the first sex. And so you have to have more to get the first effect. It's a, it's a principle in economics. So we all have to be very careful. And God, God, God in his sovereign will and wisdom knows what is good for us. Hence, he has put in place a lot of protective walls where we feel we know better. So we want to do what pleases us and what is in vogue. And then it hurts us. And eventually we now run back to God and say, God, please help us. God, heal us. God, restore us. God would do, but if you could have avoided it, why didn't you avoid it in the first place? And some of the young people think God kills our joy. He's not killing your joy. He actually wishes that your joy is complete. <laughs> no, God is not a killer of joy. He doesn't. I mean, when you read Ecclesiastes, he says, oh, youth, whatever is on your mind, go for it. Whatever your eye sees, go get it. But remember, after you have done all these things, you'll be brought to judgment. There will be a day of accountability, the day of reckoning. One of my spiritual mentors who is dead now, he says, payday someday. He always told us, payday someday. And you look around you, there is always going to be a day where payday will happen. So let's make sure that the payday is a good payday, not a bad one. <laughs> no, no, I think we cannot uh, 
We cannot end this discussion without the subject of uh, masturbation. Oh. Um, a lot of our youth today are indulged in masturbation. What does the Bible say about it? If I'm deeply into masturbation, how do I get out of it? Um, yeah. So if you can just give us a you know, minute or two about For instance, smoking is not mentioned in the Bible. Christmas is not mentioned in the Bible. Easter is not mentioned in the Bible, but the essence of it is there. You won't find any scripture that talks about masturbation, but you can find a scripture that talks about orgies. You see? When the writer of Jude writes that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, he says, teaching us to say no to worldly passions. These are steamy activities backed by passion. Now, sex is meant to be enjoyed between a husband and wife. That's why Hebrews 13 verse 4 says that the marriage must be honored by all, the marriage bed undefiled. The bed itself is not to be defiled. So the act of sex is to be enjoyed between the husband and the wife. So Genesis 2.24, he says that the man and his wife, they were naked and not ashamed. In chapter 3, he says, and Adam knew his wife, and she became pregnant. That knew there is a revelation of the deepest sense, and it only happens through sex. Now, if a young person decides that I am going to have the big M, which is masturbation, it is what we call solo sex. So the first thing is that it's actually self-sex, which runs contrary to God's principle of how an outlet of passion is supposed to be secured. Now the question is this, what is it that has come over you that makes you want to do that to yourself? And that's where Paul says that do not walk in the carnal instincts so as to fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's a desire of the flesh. I know a lot of people who are married who also still masturbate. So the issue is not really because you're single. The issue is that you're walking in the carnal instincts of the flesh. And so the flesh detects and you yield. But it says walk in the spirit that ye may not fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's like watch and pray. Say, watch and pray that you may not be led into temptation. And so people should come to a point of understanding that you won't find explicitly words like masturbation in the scriptures. But there are things we do, self-touch, self-simulation, and all these things that we do. We always, most of the time, have an image on our mind that we project. When people get into these things, they get to a place where they no longer need an image necessarily to do that. And that means you've got into a place where it's a really, really dangerous arena. So right from the beginning, at the outset, when you're getting into these things, look, there are people who I have young girls who many years ago will come to my office and say, Elder, you know, I'm having cramps. And then they say, I want to see a doctor, and the doctor asks, have you had sex before? He say, no. Do you have a boyfriend? No. He says, all you need is get a boyfriend, have sex, and you'll be fine. Huh? How people who have even delivered, and they still have cramps. <laughs> I mean, my big sister, 
She got married and she was still having cramps. So the issue is not, you see, so the devil can always have highlights. <laughs> People that are agents, oh my God, please edit this one. <laughs> my alarm is, I, when I sleep around this time, I get up around six. So, sorry, you know. And it's important that we all understand that as for highlings, the devil has highlings. He can hire people to water down the things you believe. So that what you believe, you actually throw it away and take what they are offering you. It's like girls who are virgins today. That people are talking, oh, virginity is outmoded. And I sit back and I say, hey, is that the kind of theory we are propounding? It's, oh, it's not worth it to keep your virginity to marry. Why, what, what are you going to do to your husband? With I say, hey! And so the girls who have held on to their virginity, all of a sudden are the ones who are actually feeling guilty for staying for the Lord. And those who are actually loose and sleeping around, they are almost like becoming very audacious. I find that quite distressing. But you see, even if you lost your virginity, God actually will not kill you. Because when you come to Jesus Christ, first, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, he says, if someone is in Christ, he says, the old things are passed away, and behold, everything has become new. So you haven't lost anything, as it were, because you are a new creation you are a brand new person. All things are passed away. You are born again. So when you walk in your new creation, the enemy cannot hold you guilty of what you did in the past because it's a new person walking. And so you and the person who is primarily a virgin and the person who has come to Christ, they are actually now on the same level, at the same stage. So there's nothing to panic about because in the eyes of the Lord, he sees you as he sees you. And like Paul says, we do not look at people from the human point of view as we did of Christ. And now we see them as God has made them. So persons in this, don't find an excuse. It's like the guy in the bank who is pilfering cash, stealing people's money. He pulls the money from the middle. Today we have counting machines, but previously there were no counting machines. So if you're having like bulk, you know, cash, you just pack them into the bag and you go. People go, you're counting and two are missing, three are missing on this packet. You know, it was quite a, an alarming situation. So it got to a point now, all the banks, you go, they say, check your money before you leave the counter. Why did it become necessary? Because there were people who were pilfering. And you'd be amazed at the guy who say, oh, my salary is less and I'm not being paid well. And he's finding justification. Everything human beings do, we can find justification for. That's what the Bible says. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Wow. I think this is very, very insightful. Um, all too soon, um, time may not permit us to exhaust all our questions on our mind. But before we leave, um, let's assume your God seated on the throne and teenagers, young adults, facilitators are watching you. What word? What will be your final word to them? 
I thank God I'm not God. <laughs> so I'm actually thanking God that I'm not God. <laughs> but I am grateful for the opportunity for these very insightful conversations and the questions you've raised. They are pertinent and real issues we are grappling with today. Now, having said that, I want to encourage you, if you're a teenager, take your time. You would definitely go past being a teen. There's no hurry in life. If you are above teens and you're making choices and there are prospective suitors coming your way, you equally need patience. You see, somebody went to God and said, God, I need patience, but I need it right now. What they fail to realize is that when you ask God for patience, you'll be tested. Take your time. If you are in a stage where you are already in a relationship courting heading towards marriage, stay faithful and honest. Now there are people in relationships and they say they love another person. They say they're attracted to another person. And it's the very nucleus of unfaithfulness. Don't sow seeds of unfaithfulness at this stage. Those of us who are facilitators, I want to thank you for your selfless service in encouraging our brothers and sisters. I'll encourage you to be good examples. I pray that none of you turn him or herself into a ravenous wolf in a sheepskin. Because we've had cases where persons in authority use their influence wrongly. Be a good example. So if you're in a relationship, enjoy your relationship. Make it a good model for the young people. If you're a married person, please, Love your spouse. Because you as a married person, if you come low to the level of proposing to people who are single, you damage their confidence towards marriage like nobody else. Because you are in a place of trust. And may God be gracious to each one of us. And let us humbly pursue this journey. Together let us grow to be like Christ. Thank you once again for the opportunity. God bless. So once again, we'd like to thank you very much, and God bless you. And for the teens, Amen. I would encourage that if you have any questions, when we break out into our individual sessions, then please feel free to ask any facilitator. Thank you very much. Enjoy the session. We hope you were blessed by this message. We encourage you to follow us on our social media pages for more updates. On Twitter and Instagram, we are ICGC Calvary Team. On Facebook, we are ICGC Calvary Temple Teen Chapel. On Telegram, we are ICGC Calvary Temple Teens. And on YouTube, we are Omega Generation TV. You can also fellowship with us every Sunday at 7 a.m. on the last floor of ICGC Calvary Temple's Pentex Hills. Stay blessed.